Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Leviticus chapter 2. Leviticus chapter 2, starting in verse 1, hear now the word of our God. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be of fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on the head of his offering, and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, and the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. 
If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord and lay his hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. This is the word of the Lord. As you can see, we are in a section of Leviticus that is, consists basically of detailed instructions to the priests. And partly for that reason, there's not much explanation of sort of why? Uh, and for that, sometimes we need to actually connect what is going on here with what's going on in the rest of what God is telling his people in the Pentateuch. We, we saw last time that Leviticus takes place at Mount Sinai. This is the first month of the second year since they came out of the land of Egypt. In Exodus 40, Moses had set up the tabernacle and consecrated it. And the tabernacle was the place, the first place on earth since the Garden of Eden, where God promises to meet with man. But as we saw last time, Exodus ends with a problem. Because in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Wait, why, why is that a problem? It sounds great. God has come to dwell with man. Except the purpose of the tabernacle was that God would dwell with man, that God and man would meet together. But verse 35 says that Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God has come to dwell with man, but man, even Moses, may not enter the presence of the Lord. Okay, how, how is this helping us? All we got now is, okay, God's here, but we can't get anywhere, anywhere near him. And so it's in this context, on that same day, as far as we can tell, that the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. In effect, hey Moses, you can't come in right now, but let me tell you how you can. Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can enter into the Holy of Holies? Who can dwell with God? God says, I want you to be able to draw near. But to do this, we need to deal with that whole sin and rebellion thing. Leviticus begins with Israel, God's firstborn son, standing outside the cherubim-guarded entry to Eden, the Holy of Holies. So Leviticus begins with the problem. How can man come before God? And the God who dwells within begins to speak, revealing the way of entry, the way back to the tree of life. To understand Leviticus, then, is to understand the way to enter into the presence of the living God. How can you draw near to God? It's what chapters 1 through 10 is all about. You need offerings, chapters 1 through 7. You need priests, chapters 8 through 10. The, the burnt offering or the ascension offering that we looked at last time is the the very literal foundation of the whole sacrificial system. Everything we just read about in chapters 2 and 3 takes place after the burnt offering, the ascension offering, has already been placed on the altar. And so as the smoke is going up to the Lord, now we get to parts 2 and 3. We 
it was a bit much to try to get through all of this in one sermon last time, so I broke it into two. But the, the ascension offering, the burnt offering, is, is called that because it's when the whole animal is burnt, the whole animal ascends up to God in smoke. The word translated offering there was korban, which means to draw near. So a burnt offering is quite literally an ascent drawing near to God. When you offer a burnt offering in the ancient world, you are symbolically drawing near the deity. You're saying, in effect, we're here to worship you. We are here to draw near to you. You find this in all sorts of ancient Near Eastern cultures. I mean, you, even, you even find Jehu doing that with, with Baal when he offers burnt offerings to Baal. And you're like, how can a Yahweh worshiper offer burnt offerings to Baal? <laughs> He's basically saying to Baal, hey, hey, Baal, over here. We're here to worship you. Oh, just kidding. I'm now going to kill all your worshipers and turn your temple into a latrine. How's that? Not exactly a... I mean, when, yeah, the burnt offering said, oh, we're here to draw near, uh, except it turns the burnt offering on its head, as it were, and destroys the, the worshippers of Baal. It's also why the Israelite must bring a male without blemish for the burnt offering. God is teaching his people that the perfect sacrifice must be an unblemished male. God is looking for a holy son who will be blameless and pure, and that's where in the burnt offering, in the ascension offering, it's, this is, there must be one whose death will bring us near to God. And the worshiper lays his hand on the head of the burnt offering, uh, not just sort of touching it, but leaning, or it's, sort of, it's a pushing down. And, and, and then the animal, on behalf of the worshiper, ascends in the smoke into God's presence, making atonement, bringing man together with God. There can be no atonement without blood. There can be no atonement without death. Israel is not merely delivered from death, but through death, dying to the old life in Canaan, or in Egypt rather, uh, and in preparation for life with God in the promised land. So when the worshiper identifies with the animal, so the death of the animal becomes his own, now the ascension of the animal becomes his own. God and man can now dwell together through the blood of the sacrifice. In the sense, yes, the burnt offering includes an acknowledgement of sin. There's a, sin has separated us from God. And the only way for man to return to God is through death. In the ascension offering, the Israelite acknowledges that he cannot ascend God's holy mountain himself and so can only come through a blameless substitute. Israel must learn that it's only through blood sacrifice that atonement can be made. But blood is not required for all offerings. Indeed, the grain offering is one that is of, of as it suggests, of grain. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, refers to a, a grain offering of flour mixed with oil and incense. Now, you'll notice that the, whenever incense is included, all of the incense is burned on the fire. If you, were, if you were wondering, how are the priests supposed to eat bread that's tainted with incense? No, no, they're not supposed to eat. The part with incense is all burned on the altar. The rest of it is eaten by Aaron and his sons. It is referred to as a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. There's a movement in the sacrifices from God alone partakes of the burnt offering. The whole animal is destroyed in the fire and the smoke of the animal ascends to God. But 
with the, with the grain offering, there are two participants. Part is burned in the fire and part is eaten, the rest is eaten, by Aaron and his sons. And it's spoken of as a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. So God alone partakes in the burnt offering, God and the priests partake in the grain offering, and then God, the priests, and the people will partake of the peace offering. Now, why, what's, what's going on here? Why, why do you give the, the grain offering to the priests? You could say it's designed to keep the priests fed. And that, that is actually part of the purpose. But more accurately, it's that this offering is designed to remind the Israelites of their need for a mediator who could bring peace with God. Because how are you supposed to get to the peace offering? How are you supposed to get to the point where you have peace with God and you can have a meal with God? Well, if you remember back in Exodus 24 that they needed to have these burnt offerings and peace offerings offered. And then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel ascend partway up the mountain to eat and drink before God. Where there needs to be a a mediator who can bring peace with God. It's part of why the grain offering is, is, the word for this in Hebrew is mincha, which is a a tribute offering. Uh, Now, the term mincha means simply a present or a donation. Um, So you you might think, oh, it's, 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 the point of this is that it's a, it's a voluntary offering. (laughs) No, no, no. You you see, the, the kings of the day would say, I want you to bring me a voluntary offering. Hint, hint, hint. And if you don't, my soldiers will kill you. Hint, hint, hint. Oh, yes, king, we will bring you a voluntary offer. So, mincha, even though the word means a present, but it's not a voluntary present. That's why tribute is a good translation for mincha. It is a tribute offering. Here, my lord, we bring you our present. Never mind that you ordered us to do it and your soldiers would kill us if we didn't, but please accept it as our gift. And, and yes, part of this is that the tribute offering is where God's people acknowledge that God alone is our God. And so we bring to our God a mincha, a, a present, a gift. It's, it's our tribute to our God who is the king and our, the one who made us and we are his. And so, yes, the purpose of this tribute is in large part so that the priests might have sufficient bread. Uh, and, the rest of the tribute is then, uh, the first part is, is given to God in the fire. It's placed on top of the burnt offering, burned in the fire. It's part of that pleasing aroma that goes up before God. And the, the frankincense will, will help with that aroma. Um, and then the rest of the tribute is given to the priests, which introduces the importance of the priests as mediators connecting God and man. Now, you'll you'll notice in in verses 1 to 3, the grain was simply ground into flour. Uh, Verses 4 to 13 explain that cooked grain is also acceptable so long as it remained unleavened. So, leaven is not to be used in anything that is offered on the altar. Also, honey, or, and the word honey here, it just means sweetener. So, it's, it could be honey from, made from bees, it could be a, a fig, basically a fig sugar, which was another one of the sweeteners they would, they would use. But the point is, leaven and sweeteners should not be used in the grain offerings that are p- placed on the altar. Why? 
Well, the text doesn't say. Um, But verse 12 makes it clear that the point has to do with what is burned on the altar, not what is given to the priests. Because verse 12 says that as an offering of first fruits, you may bring them leavened bread or sweetened bread, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. Uh, So what's on the altar must be unleavened and unsweetened. The burned portion of the flower tribute was to be mixed with oil and frankincense. And so people have tried to explain, why is this? Some have tried to say that, that leaven was viewed as bad, but... Verse 12 makes it clear that leavened bread could be brought to the Lord as first fruits for the priests to eat. So I would suggest it's best to see this as a reminder of the Passover, a reminder of the exodus from Egypt where God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. So what you burn on the altar is unleavened bread, uh, which would have... Uh, which, and when you think about what are the things that are included in this bread that goes onto the altar... There's, there's the grain, the, the flour, there's oil, and then there's salt. So it's, it, there is a certain simplicity in what is offered on the altar. Um, verse 13 gives a very strong warning. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. And in case you didn't get all correctly, you shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. That's a pretty strong statement of don't forget this. The, uh, the, the salt of the covenant refers to a, a, a covenant between the priests and the people. In Numbers 18, verse 19, the priests are told they have no inheritance in the land, but that the sacrifices will be their food. And, and Moses says this, All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. So the priests and the people have a covenant of salt. Now what what does that mean? Well, in, in the ancient world, eating salt together was a statement of friendship. So a, a covenant of salt speaks of a covenant between Israel and their priests that the priests would mediate the blessings of redemption even as the people would provide food for their priests. So there's a way in which the, the covenant of salt is, a, is a, an agreement that basically the priests will mediate the blessings of God, the people will provide for their priests. Paul will point out in 1 Corinthians 9 that just as the priests make their living from the sacrifices, so also the ministers of the new covenant should make their living from preaching the gospel. And, I mean, all I can say is thank you for taking that responsibility seriously over these last 21 years, because you've you've done that. Verses 14 to 16 then explain how to bring a grain offering as a part of the first fruits. So there's, we, the, the regular grain offering is, goes together with the burnt offering. But then there's also in the offering of first fruits, uh, which came once a year, the, verses 14 to 16 explain that if you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And then the portion that goes before the Lord, you have oil and frankincense on it, and that's burned as a memorial portion and then the rest is given to the priests. Since the land belongs to the Lord, there's a way in which this, this, is, this is the tribute that the people of God are to bring to God as their, you might say, their rent, 
uh, before the Lord. As a tenant would bring to the landowner the first fruits of the harvest, so Israel must bring the first fruits of the harvest to God, sharing in the goodness of the harvest to, with their priests and Levites. And as the first portion is burned in the fire with oil and frankincense as a tribute offering, as the grain offering, the rest goes to the priests. And as verse 12 points out, the portion for the priests could have leaven and sweeteners in it. And uh, by the way, this is why we use leavened bread in the Lord's Supper. I mean, I, that, may, that may sound like a what, what, where, how? But because why do we use leavened bread? I mean, people sometimes say we have, you know, isn't it a Passover meal? Shouldn't we be using unleavened bread? And it's certainly true that at the Last Supper, Jesus would have been using unleavened bread because this was during the Feast of Passover. But the Last Supper is not the same thing as the Lord's Supper. If the Last Supper was to be reproduced in its entirety, then we would also need lamb and bitter herbs, and there would be the, the sort of the whole Passover Seder that we should be doing every time we have the Lord's Supper. But that's actually we're told very explicitly by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 that we're not supposed to try to do a whole meal at the Lord's Supper. Rather, Paul says, here's the part that matters. <laughs> it's what we call the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, while it was instituted at a Passover feast, the Lord's Supper is not itself a Passover feast. The Lord's Supper joins together the fulfillment of all the feasts. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 10 when he speaks of how the worshipers partake of the altar by partaking of the sacrifice. I mean, think about it this way. When Jesus gathered together with his disciples eight days after his resurrection, eight days later, when he breaks bread with them, what kind of bread would Jesus have used? We're now eight days, because the, the Passover was now over and had been over for more than a week. What kind of bread would they have had? Regular leavened bread. So what would Jesus have used when he broke bread with them? The regular leavened bread that they would be having in their ordinary meals. And when you look at what the early church's practice was, that seems to be the, the case. That during, actually, in, in places where there were lots of, of Jewish uh, Christians, they would use unleavened bread for communion during Passover week, but then leavened bread through the rest of the year because that was the ordinary bread that they would have had available. And so that's where our, our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who was offered as the ascension offering, as the portion that ascends by death, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And so therefore, as we are a holy priesthood in Christ, it's appropriate to use leaven and sweeteners in the portion for the priests. And that's what we are. We are, we, we don't, we don't, this is where, if we said, no, no, this is a sacrifice, the Lord's Supper is a sacrifice, it, this is why Rome has to use unleavened bread. Rome has to use unleavened bread because if it is a sacrifice, then what gets offered on the altar must be unleavened. But we are not partaking, we are partaking of the sacrifice, but the Lord's Supper is not itself a sacrifice. And so therefore, leavened bread and sweeteners are appropriate for the portion of the priests. Well, chapter 3 then deals with the peace offering. And uh, I know for the, for the ascension offering and, and for the, the tribute offering, I, I quibbled a little with the translation. Peace offerings are really good translation. It's... Uh, 
shalom uh, it's, 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 is, the, is the root word in, uh, behind, uh, behind how, this, how this is phrased. And, the, and you'll notice as, as the peace offering is described, the, the first part of the peace offering is exactly like the burnt offering. Uh, and the fat, the liver, and the kidneys are, are burned on top of the ascension offering. So when the burnt offering or ascension offering is is burning on the on the fire, and then they add they add the 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 the, the portion of of the the grain offering with the with the incense, and so now that's that's on top of the burnt offering, the ascension offering, the smoke going up to the Lord, and then while that's burning, now you bring the, the next animal for the peace offering, and then the fat, liver, and kidneys are thrown on top of, remember I said that the burnt offering was the foundation for the others? Literally speaking, the foundation. It's everything else is thrown on top because all of this is, it's, it's envisioned as one, one picture with three parts. Uh, and then we'll talk more later about the sin, sin offering and guilt offering. But, uh, but the, but these three, these three, the, 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 the burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, these go together very in pretty much every case. Uh, and this, the fat, liver, and kidneys are then burned on top of the ascension offering. And together with the ascension and tribute offerings, the peace offering is also called a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, at this point, we're not told what, what's done with the rest of the meat. We'll hear about that later in chapter 7. But it's important to say here that the priest partakes of part of the peace offering and the worshippers partake of the rest. Because what's going on in this threefold movement of ascension offering, tribute offering, peace offering? Well, God himself partakes of the entirety of the burnt offering. That animal ascends entirely to God. But then... The, the, the grain offering or the tribute offering, the priest partakes of some and God partakes of some. And then the peace offering, God, God gets the fat, the liver, and the kidneys, the priest gets his portion, and now the worshipers also partake of the peace offering. And the reason for this is because sin has been atoned for. The way has been opened to fellowship with God. Or to say it the way Paul does, since then we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a, this is a classic statement of Leviticus. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm really stunned sometimes when I go back and think through what sort of Leviticus is doing and you're like, okay, since then we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is actually talking about how Jesus has ascended to God as the peace, as the, as the ascension offering, as the burnt offering, and we have peace with Him because He, with God, because of Jesus, our great High Priest, who has so because the, the tribute offering, the, the priest would partake of that, and so then the peace offering, we now have access to God, we now partake of this fellowship with God, and you're like, wait a second, this classic statement, Romans five one. Since then we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's simply what Leviticus had said. I, I realize. <laughs> so you're like, really, Pastor? That I, I've, I've, read, I've tried reading Leviticus a few times. It never really came through that clearly. I, right, because we don't, think, we don't think about animal sacrifices except when we're reading Leviticus and you know, a few other places like that. But 
this, this is still what Paul would have grown up with. This is what everybody in the New Testament times would have grown up with. And it's just, it's just we, we, we wind up losing sight of what's going on because we don't see this sort of thing anymore. But notice, notice some, some interesting things about the way the peace offering works. In contrast to the burnt offering, either a male or female animal could be used. So the burnt offering has to be a male animal, but the peace offering can be either male or female. And again, this was because the burnt offering, God's, God's saying the only way, it, so God, he is looking for a blameless male, this is going to be our Lord Jesus Christ, as the one who ascends to God on our behalf. But then in the peace offering, the point is, is communion of all God's people with God. And so, to a certain extent, it's God uses, you might say, you know, one of each in order to make, make clear that both parts are true. And the death of the animal and the sprinkling of the blood expresses communion through the lifeblood of the animal. The peace offering reflects the, the closeness of the bond, the covenant between God and his people. Uh, there are strong connections with the ritual for the burnt offering. And the, you'll, when you go through the, the Old Testament, you'll never find a peace offering without burnt offerings. You'll never find a peace offering without the, the, the ascension offering first. Nobody in the Old Testament would ever have imagined trying to have a peace offering without a burnt offering. And if you think about the, the reason why is really simple. Until you can ascend the hill of the Lord, you can't have peace with God. How do we ascend the hill of the Lord? Through the burnt offering, through the ascension offering. It's only when you, it's only, we only come into the presence of God with, through the burnt offering, and therefore, and then the grain offering for the priest, because we need to have a priest in order to mediate between us and God, and then we have fellowship with God, which is the table fellowship, the communion that we have through the sacrifice. Um, and then in, 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 at the end of verse 16, we are told that all fat is the Lord's. Uh, what's going on with all this stuff about fat? Uh, we're, we're told in verse 17 that, that it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Uh, the eating of blood was forbidden back in Genesis after the flood when God tells Noah that life is in the blood. Uh, this prohibition is repeated and strengthened in the law of Moses and also confirmed in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. I mean, the, the apostles make clear in Acts 15 that the law of Moses is not imposed on the Gentiles. It's why they don't include fat in their decree. But they, they do think that the Noahic prohibition against eating blood remains in effect. Uh, and so that's where I would, I would suggest that this is, this is still something we should pay attention to. Uh, the point is not that every drop of blood must be drained. Uh, the, the, when, I, when I say that, that the prohibition against blood is still, is still part of what God gave us in the Noahic covenant, it's, it's not saying that, that therefore all, all of the Jewish ways of trying to make sure that they, that they never partake of a drop of blood, no, that... That's sort of the Pharisaic approach of we are going to create extra rules to make sure that we don't break God's law. That's not what we're talking about here. 
it's not that every drop of blood must be drained. The point is that we should avoid eating blood because the blood is the life of the animal. Indeed, it's what makes the Lord's Supper so vital, so life-giving, because at the Lord's table we partake of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we do so in a most unbloody way, as he offers us himself through the, through the wine and through the bread. So, but what about fat? Um, now, this is not a reference to the fat that is, comes with meat, uh, it's referring to the internal fat, the fat connected to the entrails, kidney, liver, etc. Uh, these were to be devoted to God in the fire. And uh, they're told that even in all their habit- habitations, Israel is not supposed to eat those parts that were set apart for God. So in other words, it's not just with the peace offering. It's also when you are eating in your houses, uh, uh, this, is, this is where the kosher laws came from. But the picture was, when you slaughter an animal in your towns and you're going to have a nice you know, roast beef dinner, um, then you use the same basic ritual of slaughtering the animal that you would for a sacrifice, even though it's not a sacrifice, in order to remind you of the sacrifice. It's actually the same reason why we pray before our meals. Not, you know, because it's, we're remembering that God has provided for us in everything. Uh, and God is beginning to, to teach his people about the holy. There are certain things that belong to God. I've, I've heard some say that, that, oh, the fat, the liver, and the kidneys were considered delicacies at the time. I'm not convinced. Others point out that the kidneys in the Old Testament refer to the center of the emotions. And they suggest that the, the devotion of these inner parts to God is designed to remind the worshiper that our inner parts belong to him as well. Eh. I think the really important thing is that God himself partakes of part of the animal, the priest partakes of part, and the worshiper partakes of part. That's the point that our text makes, and all these other things that people suggest Eh, maybe, I mean, you, you, you could. The point that the text makes is that we now have peace with God. We are now sharing a meal with God. Why does God claim the fat for himself? Because he wants to have a meal with his people. When we went to the book of Exodus, we saw that God went camping with his people. They lived in tents, and so, they, and so God said, make me a, make me a big tent. They cook on camp stoves, so he, they, he had them build a big camp stove. We, we call it an altar, but I mean, what's the altar doing? <laughs> um, it's where the part of, of God's portion goes. And so now we see that there is a way for man to have peace with God. There is a way that man can dwell with God, that we can share a meal with him. And so, of course, for us, Our Lord Jesus Christ is the burnt offering. He is the ascension offering who ascends to God on our behalf through his substitutionary death. He is our grain offering, the tribute offering, the true bread from heaven that provides spiritual nourishment for his priests. And he is our peace offering, the covenant meal. Unless we eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, we have no life in us. 
There's a way in which our Lord Jesus has joined us together with him that we might share in his life that through his sacrifice, and this is where, through, through his offering, through what he has done, and as he becomes all of these offerings, he then unites us to himself so that we might ascend the hill of the Lord and come into the presence of God and partake of his very life. Because apart from him, we got nothing. So let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us, because apart from your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we've got nothing. And so we come to you, and we, we, we acknowledge that in ourselves we are helpless, and we cannot ascend your holy mountain. We cannot come into your presence in our own strength. But we thank you that you have provided the way, that you have opened the way through Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, who offered himself as the ascension offering, who has, who has entered into your holy place through his own death, that th- through his resurrection, through his ascension to your right hand, he might bring us to you. And we thank you that he is the tribute offering, that he has, that he has, that he has paid the penalty, he has paid the, the debt that we owed and that we might come into your presence and, and, and partake of him who is our life. And we, we praise you that he is our peace offering, that in him we can come to you and, and share in this, in this holy meal that we partake of together as, as your people, that we, might, that we might partake of Jesus who is our life. Lord, thank you. And help us to remember these things. Help us to then, as we go through our daily lives, may we put into practice the, the things that you have taught us. May we walk humbly before you with, with joy and with confidence because since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with you through your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to walk in that peace. May that peace rule in our hearts, in our lives, together as one body, that we might show forth the, the peace of Christ to a world that is raging out of control, that they might see in us and hear from us the glorious gospel of the Prince of Peace who has accomplished all this in his own death and resurrection and continues to send forth his word, his gospel to the nations. Lord, help us to believe your promises, to live faithfully before you and before the watching world that those around us might see in us and hear from us the good news of Jesus. For we pray this in his name. Amen.